I have a confession to make. I get nervous anytime I read in scripture about people wearing robes and offering long prayers. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> so I'll make this prayer very short. How's that? Let's pray. Holy and gracious Father, we thank and praise you for the widow and her offering to you. A few copper coins, but pressed into your service, Lord. Lord, these are... These words of mine are simple, simple coins. But we ask, Lord, that simple coins would be pressed into your service, that they bring glory and honor to you, that they would work your work that you have for us. Lord, speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I'm going to take you, jog you through the, uh, the last part of the book of Psalms. So I encourage you to open your Bibles and turn to Psalm 40, 146. Normally I don't have you jog this way, but I want you to look through this because it's important. Psalm 146. Now, Psalm 146 is the first of the last five psalms. And of these last five psalms, they all begin and end with the same word. And that word is hallelujah, which means Praise the Lord. So these are the final hallels in, in the, book of, uh, the book of Psalm. But, so 146 begins, hallelujah, praise the Lord. It ends, hallelujah, praise the Lord. 147, praise the Lord. The end, praise the Lord. You see what I'm doing. Now, what's interesting, the very last Psalm, 150, there are 10 hallelujahs, which is interesting. Five leading up to it, two at each one, and then the last one has all 10. Coincidence? No way. God is doing something amazing there. But here's what's really important. Jump to 146, and then look at the one verse before it. Because one verse before is the last psalm written by David that's ascribed to David. And here you have it. And as it ends, one, verse 21 says, My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. And then the last five psalms, hallelujah, praise the Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then it ends with, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah, amen to that, see? That's exactly right. Now, one more thing about this. Each of these psalms then are written to encourage, to invoke, to command us, to call us out to praise God. And, so, and not just us. The nations, the animals, all of God's creation, these psalms are, are spoken, written, so that everything would praise God. Well, in Psalm 146, there's a chiastic structure, which really means when you're reading it, the top point and the bottom point equal each other, and they do that all the way through until there's a center phrase that's important that you need to highlight. And the center of Psalm 146 is verse 6, the second half, which says, the Lord who remains faithful forever, or the Lord remains faithful forever. Now, why is all this important? It's important this way. Basically, the reason we should praise God, according to Psalm 146, is that the Lord remains faithful forever. That's the point. So, to see if you guys are getting this, see if you're awake. The first service was awake. I don't know about you guys. You look a little tired. 
But I'm going to say hallelujah, which means praise the Lord, and you're going to give the reason for praising the Lord. You're going to say, the Lord remains faithful forever. Hallelujah. The Lord remains faithful forever. Wow, you guys are awake. Wonderful. That's the point. Hallelujah, the Lord remains faithful forever. That's why we are to praise God, because He's faithful. And not just once, but forever. But isn't that sometimes troubling? Because when we hear those words, we believe those words. We know that God is faithful. He's faithful forever. But when we look at this world, when we look around, we have to wonder, is God really faithful and really faithful forever? When we look around and we, we see the people we love and we see them suffering, whether it's financial suffering or physical illness or emotional illness, when we look around and see them suffering, there's something inside of us that wonders, is God really faithful forever? Or when they're not going to church, is God really faithful forever? Or when we turn on the news and we hear about a shooting at a base, you start asking that question, is God really faithful forever? Or when you, you read about executives who are able to get the N1H1 flu shot, whereas hospital employees don't, you start asking, is God really faithful forever? And for me, when I heard that report, I have to admit, here's my confession to you, that when I heard that report, I go, you know, Lord, you know how some people get an allergic reaction to that shot? <laughs> Boy, I want them to get that allergic reaction. I guess that's why I, I confess my sins with you in the, the morning on Sunday mornings, right? Stick them. But that's how it is. God, we know that God's faithful forever, but when we look around, we don't always see it. We see what seems to be contrary that God's faithful forever. I think all of us have come to a point in our lives where we've wondered, God, what are you doing? In fact, Psalm 44 is such a psalm that speaks of this. Psalm 44 says these words, All this has come upon us. Though we have not forgotten you, O Lord, or been false to your covenant, our heart has not turned back from you, nor have our steps departed from your way. For your sake, though, Lord, we were slain. And then the very end of Psalm 44. Why do you hide your face? God, we know you're faithful forever, but why do you hide your face? Why can't we see what you're doing. Have you ever been there? I have. Some of you might even be there now. Well, Psalm 146 doesn't answer the question of why things happen. And it's very humbling as a pastor for me to enter into situations where people are suffering. They say, Pastor, why? Why is this happening to me? And I have to tell them, I don't know. There's a million reasons why certain things happen, and I don't know what they are. I can guess, but I, it's only a guess. It's very humbling to, to enter into grief and not have an answer. Psalm 146 doesn't give an answer either. In the midst of people who, who are worshiping God, they're called to say, the Lord is faithful forever, and yet their lives could be falling apart. This psalm doesn't give the answer of why, but the psalm does do something else. It calls us to praise God and to say these words even when we might not believe them 
or even when we might not trust Him, or even when we might doubt Him, God's calling us, commanding us, luring us to praise Him, even when our heart's not in it. Now, He does more than just lure us. Psalm 146 will, will give us two options. You can either trust God or you can trust man. Which one do you want to trust? Well, let's, let's follow now. Verse 3. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. There's a wonderful, uh, wonderful wordplay in this. In verse 3, it says, do not put your trust in mortal men. In Hebrew, what's the word for man? It's the first name in the Bible. Adam, right? So do not put your trust in Adam, Adam. Why? Because verse 4, when their spirit departs, they return to the ground, which is Adamah. Right? So don't trust Adam. Why? Because Adam returns to the ground. He dies. Don't put your trust in man because man is mortal. Man is finite. Man has limitations. Now, of course we should trust each other, but that's not the point. The point is, don't put your ultimate trust in man. Why? Because man can't meet your ultimate needs. For instance, doctors. Doctors can heal you, but they can't make you live forever. Or peace agreements. Peace agreements can cease a war but they can't remove what's inside of us, a desire maybe to war, right? So, so don't put your trust in princes, in presidents, in governors, in pastors, because they'll die. They're finite. They're, they have limits. Instead, put your trust in God. The perfect example of this is the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is the place where man makes their tower to reach God, to make a name for themselves, to meet God. So they build this beautiful, glorious, high tower. And if you read it in Hebrew, it's, it's such a neat, the language is great, because there's God up in heaven, and it says God has to come down in order to see what they are doing. In other words, their great big tower that they think is reaching God God's up there and goes, what's that speck down there? I can't quite see it. It's, it's, it's so tiny. Well, I better come down and take a look at it. I mean, it's fun. It's fun. This is why the Bible's so much fun. It's, it's just full of irony, and it's great. Well, that's the problem. Man will make a tower that reaches all the way up to God, so man thinks. And God goes, what's that? I can't see it. It's, it's, it's too tiny. I have to come down. Do not put your trust in princes or mortal men. They cannot save. Adam returns to the ground. Instead, put your trust in God. Verse 5 and following. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. The Lord, who remains faithful forever. So who are we to trust? We're to trust God. But what's the clue in this passage? Not just God general, the God of whom? 
Jacob. Why is this important? It's important because God is not some God, you know, like the song goes, in the distance, oh, da, 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 way out there. Don't ever have me sing, right? <laughs> God is the God of Jacob. God is the God of the covenant. God is the God who comes down. When Jacob was in a bad spot, God came down to him. When Joseph was in the pit, God came down and rescued him. When Israel was in bondage to slavery in Egypt, the God of Jacob came down and led them out. Do not put your trust in man. Put your trust in God, but not just any God, the God of Jacob, the one who redeems his people, the one who will put on flesh to lead them out, the one who will be born as a child to deliver them. Not an impersonable God, not some great and glorious concept, but the one who breaks in, who enters in, who meets his people, who makes a promise and says, I will be faithful even when you're not faithful. Trust that God. And think about this for a moment. Who would you rather trust with your confession of sins? Would you rather trust your neighbor or with God? Would you rather confess all your sins to your neighbor? Or would you rather confess them to God? Well, of course it's God. Why? Because you know what your neighbor would do with all your sins? You kind of go, ooh, is that right? Even more than that, I want my lawn mowed. And you're going to do that or else I'm going to pull out this list that I have of yours. And I'm going to tell everyone. Right? I mean, who do you want to trust your sin with? Your neighbor, no way, they'll take advantage of you. Or the God of Jacob, who promises to wash him, who promises to forget him, who promises to bury him. Who do you want to trust with your sin? Who do you want to trust with your, your death? Do you want to, when you're in the grave, put all your hope and trust in a doctor? Oh, doctor, I'm going to get frozen, and my hope is science that... 200 years from now, you're going to be able to wake me up and, and take my head or however that works and make a whole new body? Or do you want to trust the God who has raised from the dead before, who raised Christ from the dead? Right? Who do you want to put your trust in? Man, no way. But God, the God of Jacob, the God who is even willing to reverse things, Listen to what God does and how he reverses things. Seven and following. The Lord upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of of the wicked. What a good and gracious God. What does he do? He's reversing the orders of things. God who, who created once is promising to continue to create. And how does he recreate? He, he brings sight to the blind. He loves the oppressed. He's over the, the fatherless, the orphan, and the widow. That's who God is. The God who's not satisfied with how things are, but will do whatever it takes to make things new. Who will on that last day make everything new? 
the God who's willing to even hang on the cross to say that he loves you and to say your sin will not get in the way of his love for you. Isn't that why he sent Jesus? Because God wasn't satisfied with how things are. Jesus came to reverse everything. Jesus didn't eat with those who had the fancy robes and had the high education. He went to the sinners. Jesus wasn't like the religious leaders who wouldn't touch the leper. Jesus would march and touch the leper. Jesus would forgive the sinner. In fact, his first sermon he ever preached came from Isaiah and is the words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord remains faithful forever. And that's the point. And that's why we praise God. Because we know that even now, today, God remains faithful forever. In this place, God is here. Can you see him? No. But we know he's here. Why? Because he's promised to be here. He's in the meal. Why? Because he said he's in the meal. He's in as we gather and open up the word. He's promised to be there. When we pray two or more in his name, I'm surely in your midst. He said it. He's here. Can you see it? No. But he's promised to be here. The Lord's here reversing the order of things. No longer is it bread and wine. It's bread and wine with his presence there. No longer are we sinners without hope, but rather saints with eternal, an eternal future. But you might say, Lord, I have too much sin. And God says, so what? I took it on the cross. I'm faithful. But Lord, I've been faithless. And God says, but I'm faithful. But Lord, I have too much doubt. And God says, but I have enough faith for you. But God, I, 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 I've forsaken your name. And God says, oh, my name is much greater than what you can forsake because I have named you my own. The Lord remains faithful forever. Nowhere does it say that his people remain faithful forever. But God remains faithful in the midst of our faithlessness. And that's why we praise him because he will be faithful when you're not. He will have the faith that you don't. He has the righteousness that you lack. He has the life that you cannot make for yourself. That's who God is. And so as God's people, we gather, not because we're great, but because he is. And we praise him, not because of what we've done, but because what he will do and what he has done. We praise him for who he is. And who is he? He's a faithful Lord, the God of Jacob, your Lord, who does what it takes to have you, to redeem you, to make a future for you. And this God who knows that you, you're, we none of us want to praise him enough then says, I will command you to praise me, but I'll also delight you so that you praise me. Because God is faithful forever. The Lord remains faithful forever. Hallelujah. The Lord remains faithful forever. Hallelujah. The Lord remains faithful forever. Hallelujah! The Lord remains faithful forever. In Jesus' name, we know it's true. Amen.